There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to Trolled. My guest today is the very intelligent, very beautiful, you'll never mainly from Breakfast Television, Naga Manchetti. Welcome to Trolled. Thank you. I'm so glad that bribe paid off. <laughs> you did that. You wouldn't even accept the flower. Um, Naga, tell me, how? Um, where did you grow up? South London. South, right. Mum's from India, dad's from Mauritius. They moved to Wales when they were really young. Wow. Uh, 19. Amazing, amazing thing to do. Can you imagine being 19 and moving to a foreign country? Oh. And imagine what Wales was like in the early 70s with, you know, brown people coming to this country. And, you know, they were used to growing up with coriander and garlic and ginger. And Why did they go struggle. to Wales? They were studying medicine. My mum was studying dentistry. Dad was studying medicine. Um, and they met at medical college. Um, Dad was studying nursing. Um, they both became nurses, got married in secret, oh. came down to London, had me, had my sister, made a life. So, and settled in um, South London. So started off in like Camberwell, Peckham, went to school in Peckham, moved to Streatham when I was nine, went to school in Tooting. Did um, you know that journalism was for you? Absolutely not. Oh, really? Yeah. Had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, well, was very academic at school. Um pushed very hard to be academic by my parents as, as traditionally you know Asian immigrant parents are I come from Jewish immigrant parents that was all about education yeah absolutely no sports no boys no fun education yes. um, <laughs> luckily I was a voracious reader um, <laughs> me too <laughs> um, did you ever do that thing where you used to do and pretend you were asleep and then put your night lamp yes. on shove your dressing gown on the on the um, door at the bottom totally of the door so the light, light didn't come, come through, through. and yes. sometimes under the bed with a torch absolutely yeah and then you see I find it hard to tell my daughter off on her phone because to me it's the equivalent of reading till it's not the equivalent it's, I know I'm trying to justify my lack of terrible parents <laughs> well we can talk about that we can later. talk about that yes exactly <laughs> um, yeah so um, was just very good at school loved maths loved science um, mum wanted mum and dad both wanted me to either be a doctor or a lawyer um, <laughs> you see I was going to be a lawyer I'll tell you what we're, we're, it's practically we're, the yeah, same from the same womb and um uh, decided to do English because that's what I really thoroughly enjoyed um, and I remember my mum saying to me what are you going to be a poet <laughs> I was like no um, but I needed to do something I'd enjoy if I was going to do it for three years at university um, so did that got involved with the student paper while I was at university just loved it and then um, got loads of work experience just through writing off emails it was easier then it and was, was easier that, to get was journalism easier. it was um, and um left and decided I'd apply for a postgrad. Applied to City and Cardiff. 
didn't know they they were the best courses and the toughest courses <laughs> to get into got into both um went to city had a really tough time actually found it really really difficult Why? um I didn't enjoy the course. I didn't enjoy being out of my comfort zone. I think I, I'm not very good at independent learning. I found discipline, disciplining myself and having a level of discipline quite difficult. Um, and as I found through university, um, I'm better, loads better now. Um, was it the idea that you didn't go to regular classes, that you had to go to the library and you had to find the Yeah, which you'd you think doing. you'd learn yeah. while doing an English degree because you only have three hours of tutorials. Exactly. The rest is all reading. Um, but no, and I, I was surrounded by mega intelligent people. Mega intelligent. Funnily enough, just two weeks ago, we all met up um, for drinks. It was very raucous Anyone and it was very go good fun. Anyone go on to do what you did? Yes. Really? Oh, some brilliant journalists yeah. are absolutely brilliant all over the place and real successes. Um, all doing brilliantly and they're all right and all still brilliant people. So, um, so I made good friends, but the course was tough. But I don't, I, you know, with the city course, I don't know many people who do a postgrad in journalism and find it easy and yeah. don't find it tough. Did you think you were going to go into print journalism or television journalism? Oh, print. Always, always print. Always print. So did loads of work experience, did uh, all over the place. Um, got my first job at the Evening Standard. Um, on the city pages. I remember you on those city pages. Do you? Mm -hmm. That I was tough. Because your name did... and picture were very striking. Didn't have a... I think I did see you on that. You did. You, your name was on there. Name was on there. Definitely Don't name. Did you I was only picture? there for three months. But I remember your name being there because it was a really, it Odd was just name. a great name. I hate my name. Do you? Yeah. Oh, it's a great name. Naga means cobra. Does it? Yeah. Mum was dreaming of snakes when she was pregnant. Like a manchetti. I just loved it. I remember the name. I thought there was a byline picture. No. Is that on something else? Um, yeah. The, um, yeah. I can't remember where that is. <clears throat> it was maybe somewhere. that was later, but maybe it was them putting the name to the face that became I Struggled a... at the Evening Standard. Did you? Yeah. Early mornings. Tough boss. Anthony Hilton. Very oh. tough boss. Great journo. Tough boss. Um, that, left that was back in the day when it was a paid... Back in the day, yeah, yeah when it was paid for. Um, then went to The Observer under the brilliant Ben Lawrence, who was very kind and generous. and um, Again, business? Yeah, business pages and freelance there. And then a friend of mine from, my, from City was working at Reuters Financial Television when it existed. He was doing some camera work and he said, come over. And they um, put me on air. God, I was rubbish. <laughs> oh, I was useless. But kind of got the bug for TV. And what... The great thing about TV is it's immediacy. Yeah. So there's not that long wait. With The Observer, I found it really hard to keep that level of concentration up when you're working on one story for three weeks, you know, for, this, for the Sunday paper. Whereas in TV, you get the story, you write it, you broadcast it, done, move on. That's my mindset, which is kind of why I love what I do now. Mm -hmm. You know, we do loads of research. We have lots of work to do in preparation for the programme. But you get in in the morning, you know, get in quarter to five, hit the ground running, you finish, then you've got your own time to do your research, and then I can go on a golf course. Tell me, in a, such a fast-moving news world, which I don't believe in my growing up that it was this fast and immediate, how do you start a story, I mean, these days, how do you start researching a story maybe the day before, which has already changed 52 times by the time it gets on You air? don't. So the, You know when people say preparation is key? Mm -hmm. It is. So you cannot expect to have a breaking news story and not have an understanding if you don't have a base of understanding. So say, for example, you have a cabinet reshuffle or calls for the prime minister to resign, whatever. You have to have an understanding of what's built up to that. You, it's impossible to present or interview someone with any level of 
um, understanding or any level of expertise mm. if you obviously haven't been doing your mm -hmm. reading. And in order to do the reading, you have to make yourself interested. Yes. You know, I was I trained as a financial journalist and I kind of stayed away from politics for a long time and I had to work really hard to learn about politics and be interested in the machinations of politics. I found it all very ugly and very uninteresting. Um, but once you get involved or you make sure you have an understanding, then you know you are better prepared. And also, not to catch them out, that's not the idea, but to just make sure that any your, the wool isn't pulled over your eyes. Yes, yes. And definitely. over the viewer's eyes or the listener's eyes. See, it's funny, you know, back in the day I probably would have looked at, um, I don't know, Judy Dench and thought that's the job I want. I'm now looking at you in the, the rabbit hole and I've gone down thinking how exciting to be there in a news programme every morning with it just everything happening and unfolding in front of your eyes and having to tell the rest of the nation and the world it. You are absolutely right to be jealous. It, I can imagine. It's amazing. Yeah. I love my job yeah so I can be I could have had a late night the night before um and I can wake up after three and a half hours sleep for us or just simply slept badly to this day I've never woken up thinking I just don't want to do it oh, it's just fantastic I wake up and I could be cream crackered mm. but I'll still think okay let's get on with it what we got what we got where are my briefs what am I reading about? I'd have known if there was any, any big interviews. What am I thinking about? I'd have gone to sleep thinking about how I'm going to tackle Amazing. an interview. Um, I'd have read the books, you know, uh, read some, meet some fascinating authors, some fascinating media personalities, actors, whatever, families, you know, those touching family stories and just challenging yourself as to how you're going to approach something. Mm. Um, you could be talking about an awful story, parents who've lost a child or a very sick child sitting in front of you. We've had children sitting in front of us who have terminal illnesses and don't know. Mm. And then all of a sudden you have to turn to the weather and it's really sunny outside and you have to be joyous about that mm. and, and know that your weather presenter is also listening and being mindful and we're all a team and you've got all these thoughts you cannot I cannot tell you how invigorating it is I, I, I never come off air thinking oh I hate my job I've, mm. I've never done it the moment you do you go but yeah you know we were talking off air just before we came on about you know having to be the face of breaking terrible stories you were mm. you know the terrible um, attacks in Sri Lanka the IS attacks and you waking up to that news and having to then mm -hmm. break it to the nation and knowing it was going to get worse and knowing it was, and you said that you often will get information and see images that won't even make it to, yes. the, to the public yeah um is it hard to keep it together during those situations do you know what's hard? It's not, you can report on a bomb attack. Mm -hmm. You can report on a building collapsing. You can report on an earthquake, on a tsunami. It's when you see human beings, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a sibling, a friend. Mm -hmm. You know, I've spoken to mountaineers who lost friends on mountains who are in pain. When you see people in pain, mm -hmm. I think you'd have to be pretty hardened not to be upset. Equally, we are there to inform. Yeah. People are waking up to us. Like you said, I wake up with you every morning. You have no idea what I'm going to tell you mm -hmm. that morning. And I have to be very mindful to be informative, to not be cold, to be um, accurate, never sensationalist, never to predict, never to assume. We can only tell you the facts. And is this? are you trained to deal with um, a... 9-11 or a Beslan or um, a tube you know, I attack. remember 9-11 um, was probably the first. I was working at CNBC Europe then and I was producing the breakfast programme, um, Squawk Box. <clears throat> and um, 
was an afternoon and I was sitting with my then boyfriend, now husband, and we saw the aftermath and it was CNBC Europe, CNBC US we were watching. We saw the footage of the plane, the first plane going in. And as soon as the second plane went in, my husband said to me, Osama bin Laden, who I had never heard of. My husband's ridiculously well-informed and curious. Is he in news? Yeah, he's a director, a television director. Um, And we then had a conference call about an hour and a half later and no one, we just, what were we going to do with the programming the next day? The concept of rolling news on something like that, we'd never seen it. Yeah. Um, And also we're all reeling and we had friends in the US, you know, and we didn't know what was happening. So I think once you've been through one, I'm not saying it's easy by no means, but you know how you have to behave. And we have a responsibility. Are you given to guidelines of how to behave, or is it just automatic? Do you think we're, we're trained journalists? We're trained journalists. We're trained journalists. Yeah. We're facilitators. It's not about us. It's never about us. Well, this segues nicely into look. This podcast is called Trolled. Mm. It's about you know, it's taking a positive stance and talking to lots of interesting people about something I experienced. I've been on Twitter since two thousand and nine. It was a fun fun, interesting, informative place, which was a bit like a party with the best people in the world, and it's slowly become eroded to being a battleground. And I wanted to talk to people, I've been talked to lots of interesting people um, about how they got on to social media, particularly Twitter, as it's the forum that I use mainly for comment and debate, and about abuse that they get. Um, how, how did you get on Twitter, and why did you get onto it? I got onto Twitter when I was working for BBC World. And we were told, um, you need to be on, you need to have a profile. In fact, um, now when you go for some jobs at the BBC, a social media profile is essential because that is how the programme is put out and you get views and your personality and your profile is important. So you're as important as telling the story? No, the way you inform people and reach audiences is through social media. So you need to be able to show an ability to do that. Ah. So you can take what you've read and then put it into bite-sized chunks. Mm -hmm. Or or kind of highlight an interview that you're doing. Good interview, a good good report by one of your colleagues, etc., etc. That's what I use it for. Um, So it was interesting. I used to work on Working Lunch, um, which was on BBC Two. That's when I joined the BBC. And Declan Curry, my co-presenter, I remember him saying... Twitter, that's the thing. It's the next big thing. You've got to be on it. And I thought it was stupid. Mm-hmm. These silly 140 characters saying what? I don't want to know if you farted or what you had for breakfast. I'm not interested. Were you on any social media no. at that point? Oh, Facebook. But did you ever use it? Only to kind of, only very voyeuristically. Mm. You know, see what my friends were up to. Um, very rarely posted anything. Um, and he was on it. And he was ahead of the game. And really, you know, knew how to get people interested, that whole idea of clickbait. You what know. year was this? 2008, Oh, gosh, nine? he really wasn't early Really adopter. early, yeah, yeah 2008, 9. So I think it was it was well after working lunch that I went on, probably 2011. I'll have to look at my profile. Maybe as, a, as, a, as specifically as a PR tool for what you were doing work Well, no, we were told to get onto it, and it was a good journalism tool, Okay. which I still believe it is. Do you put anything personal on that? Yes, now I do. I was... Uh, I've struggled and I always will struggle with how much of this world should be about me and how much should be about the journalism or what I'm reporting. Um, But I do. I play the game to a certain extent. So what I put on is if I'm having a nice meal, a big foodie, if I'm having a good game of golf, 
um, if um, I'm having a nice drink. It you literally put personal is personal photos up. Yeah, family photos. Uh, my husband and I. My husband's on Twitter. Just he uses it voyeuristically. Um, but um, and you know, friends. I always ask if I can tag them and or on Twitter. It's interesting. You say what was the word you used to describe what it's become now? What Weaponized tw- and politicized. Uh, uh, no, you said something else. I can't remember. But I don't think it is for everyone. I have lots of friends who are on Twitter who use it to be informed, who enjoy the comedy around Twitter, for example, funny golf videos or sports videos or little Mm. animal videos, and who simply enjoy it and who are genuinely shocked at how people with a profile are abused. When, now, you, apart from knowing you from your work, I have always been interested to see how women who are strong and in the public eye are perceived and um, I've noticed that as the time has gone on you're, you have received trolls and you will get some negative comments and actually really offensive comments mm-hmm. about colour uh, or lots of it So and you handle it so well and that's that's kind of what this is about because I, I found that inspiring I ha- what was the first this. troll that you ever came across and what was it about? Oh I can't remember, probably something about how I'm ticking a box doing the job and I, I just tick a box which is why I've got my job Okay. I get that a lot. Um, and I remember trying to think, do you ignore it? Do you give them the satisfaction of responding to it? Do you block them? Do you mute them? I'm still a bit confused as to whether it's better to block or mute. <laughs> um, kind of quite nice um, leaving them shouting into the ether when they're muted. Isn't and when it? They, they don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think that one of the things we've all of us have said is that they do get a certain satisfaction when they've been blocked? Yes, they do. And I often get, you know, people who are kind to me on Twitter say do not give them the airspace they only had three followers because I don't look into what mm-hmm. they're doing I just kind of if something outrages me and I will answer while I'm on air um, if I see something like will that you? yes I will I retweet s- with something pithy and cutting and with fury um, but I also find killing with kindness is a good thing that's interesting um, but um, and sarcasm. I'm a great fan of sarcasm. How much of the trolling that you get is down to you being a woman and or colour? Oh, you know, I've done no data research on this, but I would, at, at a guess, I would say eighty percent. And what's what's the what what's the main sort of attitude? The the angry people on Twitter are angry in life generally. And I imagine them hold up with their sad little lives, um, grumbling away that they're not doing what I'm doing because they could do it so much better. (laughs) How the hell did she get that job? Um, And how dare she have an opinion? She, she, she. she. And, you know, why on earth do we have to look at that? You know, what's wrong with our own? That's how I think a lot of them think. I did see one in the research list. I just Mm. was looking at a few of them. Good, tell me, because I forget No, there was one and you answered it so brilliantly. It must have been, it was something like, I am watching you every day and you're just a shady, a shady coloured woman. uh, and something about the BBC and employing just a, you're you're the shadiest thing on there. And you you responded having retweeted it, going, "And I'm so glad that you're still watching. Or you just keep watching," <laughs> which I thought was just so brilliant. But the racism is is just so open. Yes. And when did Twitter 
become this, this angry place? Because genuinely, I use Twitter. I find it really useful, especially when there's breaking news. Absolutely. Um, I find it really useful to get and to get a feel of and, and who I follow. I don't follow, I'm not in my own echo chamber. That's kind of the great thing. It's not Facebook in that sense, because Facebook, I only have friends or people I know mm-hmm. who, who have any access to what I do. On Twitter, it's, I really try to reach out and have people whose views I don't agree with, etc., etc. But it, it's become angry. And I, I've been told that Instagram is much friendlier. And well, I'm Instagram on it and I don't sweet, really yeah, use I mean, it. When I first went on Twitter, I thought it was ridiculous. I thought social media was for freaks. I was like, who would put their life mm. out there? Mm. I didn't even have a Facebook account. And it becomes slowly, it sort of, one of the guests that was on said that it was like we'd all suddenly developed telepathy where we could all read each other's thoughts, which I thought was sort of interesting because... You know, I'm putting things out while I'm, you know, I remember watching Bake Off with Stephen Fry on on Twitter, you know, and you're sharing thoughts that you would say on the sofa or, you know, people on the ground in certain news situations. I remember in Paris having a friend of a friend who was caught up in that Charlie Hebdo, no, in this kosher supermarket. And, you know, you're getting word on the ground from situations like that, which which we weren't getting from the news and and lots of... Absolutely. So, you know, all of that is interesting, but what is fascinating now is that people are people think that they can just have a pop at you for anything so why you're you were interesting to me is that you're not um you're not out there talking bashing any political opinion no you're not talking about cat gifts you're not you're not taking a stance on anything you are just being you and doing a job and yet people are throwing abuse at you not men not not many no 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 no, no. actually there are enough there are enough you know one's too much how yeah. dare you? How dare you think you have the right to be mean to me? You know, try to be kind. That's one of my mottos. Just be kind to each other. But if you don't like something, if you don't like it when I'm on the telly, turn over. Yeah. There are lots of options. Yeah. And if breakfast is your, breakfast news is your staple, put up with it. Because I'm not going anywhere at the moment. So I don't understand. It's like shouting at a wall almost, these mad people shouting at a wall. And then they're so shocked when they get something back. Are they and shocked? they delete the tweets. Uh-huh. Or they say, well, I was only offering an opinion. No, you don't. You weren't offering an opinion. You were being abusive. That's different. Be critical. I get lots of constructive criticism. I felt you were too harsh with that interview. I felt you didn't push hard enough with that interview. Why didn't you ask about this? More than happy to respond to that. More than happy nothing to hide like that it is a forum and i've mm-hmm. chosen to be on twitter for how much longer i don't know but well, i it will come on to yeah that. but i've chosen to be on it and to exchange views i exchange a lot of views about golf and getting women into golf um uh equality in golf equal equal equality issues i'm very happy to kind of give those views which i don't think are harmful and i think are constructive um you will not know what political party I support which political party I support have supported voted for you will you will not know and as a journalist you, you can't do you that you can't do we that can, and as are, the BBC you know, we are impartial absolutely yeah. um but I do you get I, comments on, on what you're wearing oh all the time so to me that's fine it, is it well when someone asks I love your dress where'd you get it from I love mm. the, that top your shoes fine I have no issue with that you know I'm on telly Unless I want to wear the same thing like um, 
was it Nad- Julia, no, Nadia Sowala did. Do you remember? Um, for, she was on Loose Women and she wore the same outfit three or four days on the trot. What, well, just to say just this to is not see. a debate? Because, well, just to see if anyone reacted because she was so sick of everyone asking because the guys can wear the same suit four days on the I trot. I think women should wear the same suit as the guys. I have no issue wearing a suit. I often wear trousers and a, I, well, I don't I think wear a jacket. You, I think you up that set. But, but do you get people saying, oh, you look absolutely awful in that? Yes. So? What do you want me to do about it? It's so funny. Yeah, but you know, what an idiot, what a stupid thing to waste your time on. Do you get people attacking you saying you don't know enough about the subject that you're in? I mean, do they ever get, do they ever say things like you're stupid or yes. you shouldn't be in there yes. because yes. you're not English, whatever that is? No, not for a while. I haven't had that for a while, but I think I, I wouldn't put up with it. Um, I get people saying she's out of her depth, you know, but they they would say that about any of us, any journalist, you know. We've got some brilliant political journalists who are so smart, you know, who still get criticised for... And people say they don't know what they're talking about. Well, that's nonsense. Do you think the female journalists? I don't know enough about it to say, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was. You know, Laura Kunisberg, do you think that if she was a man that she would get a lot less grief and aggravation than than she I don't know what Nick Robinson or Andrew Moore would have to say about that because they get lots of grief as well. I think, yes, she probably does get more grief. And the way women look um, is noted. The way, you know, when I speak, one side of my face kind of snarls a bit. I imagine that's annoying to some people, as I've been told. Um, (laughs) You know, I have a voice, apparently, that's very grating. Um, Okay, I, I I have actually tried to soften my voice. I was told that when I first started broadcasting. You have to be very aware of that, but... Does it bother you? Not anymore. Did it bother you? Yeah. I've cried. I've over trolls. Yeah, you do you know what it's like? It's um say you're in a room, say you're at a party, and uh I don't know, there are fifty people at the party, and you rock you rock up in this dress and or whatever, trouser suit, gorgeous tuxedo. How's that? Sexy, huh? And you rock up in this great tuxedo and you look fantastic. Everyone says how good it looks. Mm -hmm. It it makes you look elegant. It makes you look sophisticated. Your head's already, you know, your chest puffed out, your head's rising. You're feeling good, right? Not cocky, just feeling good. And one person says, really? Mm. What are you going to remember? And that's what Twitter's like. It's a punch in the stomach that kind of overtakes all the nice strokes. Being an actor... Well, for so I mean, many you years, know, I was going to say, you know, every actor can, if they read their reviews, can, you know, you can get fifty-two amazing ones. You mm. can get five stars. It will be the one person that really the, the the bad review is the one that you remember. But I think personally, but it, this is where it must be hard because I can take getting a bad review. I can take getting a bad review for something I've written or something I'm in. If it's um, constructive. Yes, I mean, I can even because I can turn around and disassociate the work from who I am. When you're out there as yourself, presenting news as yourself, you're not doing it as a character. That must be hard. Yeah, you ha- because you have to show your side. One of the things I remember by um, being told by a brilliant editor of Breakfast, she said to me, um, oh, fair, you're funny. <laughs> you laugh and you cackle. You know, I've got a raucous laugh. And if I go, honestly, it is, I guffaw and I snort and, you know, all sorts. I have no issues with that. Um, and she said, but when you get on air, you're so stiff and you kind of are acting as I, if... Oh, did she, when did this This happen? was a long time ago. Yeah, this yeah, was like 10, was 10 years ago when I first started presenting Breakfast. I used to be the Sunday girl, the Sunday um, fill-in. 
Um, she said, just give, give yourself, give up a bit of yourself. Let the viewers know who you are. But there is a balance. There is a balance because I have my own life and you don't, you don't own me. You know, yeah, I may be in your bedroom when you wake up or in your living room or your kitchen, but I'm doing my job. Well, I'm going to say something controversial. You can't even comment on this, so I'm going to say it. I happened, I haven't watched it for a very long time, but I happened to watch Susanna Reid and Piers Morgan and... Both brilliant one. journalists. In their own rights, yes, both brilliant journalists and on breakfast television. Mm. And I could not watch more than 10 minutes, and I just was looking at whatever nonsense was going on between them and whatever role they're playing, thinking, I do not want to hear any news from you. I'm not interested, you know, it's become a soap opera. And so that's why it's such a relief, I think, to turn back to BBC. But there is equally people who cannot stand watching BBC Breakfast who need more entertainment and more firing up in the morning. And however you feel about it, alternatives are good. We've got Sky. Yes. We've got Sarah Jane Mee, who is excellent. Susanna and Piers are excellent. I really they think so. We're not going to go out, That's so I'm fine. happy to have no, this No, 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 and I'm quite happy to... I don't care if it goes out or not. I think, I think Piers is... And I know Piers a bit. And Susanna is a she's smart... A she's is, a smart cookie. Oh, God, but I just look at her sometimes. I think it's a little bit of your heart But you know breaking. what? Look, what, what, you, what you have to accept is people like... We go back to the echo chamber. People like to see people they can relate to. Yeah. People they want to like. People they think can be your friend. We're not all going to be your friends. Yeah. We're all Marmite. You are told that the moment you go into journalism and to broadcasting, you love us or you hate us. Yeah. That's it. Accept that. So segueing back to trolls, why then, why do you think you were affected? And it's, I think it's really brave of you to say that's at early doors when the trolls would send you stuff, um, that it would hurt. Why did that hurt in a way more than uh, and on somebody, I don't know, Saying, oh, saying, I'm oh, I don't like you on the television. Oh, no, that would hurt too. Okay. I remember doing a conference once um, for a group of business people and um, this older gentleman came up to me and said, um, I don't like you. <laughs> you are too opinionated. You've always got an opinion on something. You've always got something to say. And I went, oh, okay. And he said, but as a conference facilitator and host, you are excellent. I hope they invite you back. <laughs> And I just thought, what? <laughs> and I just went, okay. And just moved on, because what do you want me to say? People think they have the right to say they don't like you. People think they know you. Whereas if on the street, they would never come mm. up to you and say that, most of the time. So it's a learning process. My husband has said to me when I decided I wanted to go on air, you need to get thicker skin. Because yeah. I was that I was that producer who would go to sleep worrying that my... Um, uh, one of my presenters had changed my headline, the way I'd written a headline, changed scripts, so I wasn't good enough. You know, constantly that constant feeling. And after a while, I never think I'm good enough still, and that's not a bad thing. I'm always trying to be the best, and I'm always trying to improve, but I also accept I can't please everyone. Mm -hmm. I can only do my best. That's the only way I can get through this. Um, by choosing to take on your trolls... Mm. Um, I find it quite fun, you know, sometimes. Well, I was going to say, I think it's quite enjoyable. It makes me smile. Because you're almost shaming them? What's yes. You want to put crap out like that? Expect some crap back. Mm. I'll never be abusive, yeah. ever. Oh, no, you're good. But no, I won't. I'm not going to stoop down to that level. Yeah. Um, but I will you use sarcasm. You definitely bat it back. Oh, I yeah. love it. I will use sarcasm. And, you know, I, don't, I said I, I don't know how many followers I have. I know it's more than 100,000. Yeah. But 
they will all come back at this person because the majority of people who just want to kind of know what's going on. That's why I said to you, you know, it's not a battleground. It's a battleground. That's what I said. Yes, battleground. Yes. It's not a battleground for everyone. It's a battleground for high-profile people who inevitably rub someone up the wrong way. My name's Pete Allison. And I'm Dave Cribb, and we do a podcast called Friends with Friends. Each week we invite a guest on, ask them to pick their favourite episode of Friends, and then we talk about it in far too much detail. Basically, if you like the show Friends, and you like it when people take things far too seriously, then you might well like this podcast. Search Great Big Owl on your podcast app of choice, and you'll find Friends with Friends right there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you define a troll, a Twitter troll? Dickhead. <laughs> what, what do you think is their defining of oh, Dickhead? Interesting. Do you find a lot of yours are mainly male? No, 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 I have quite a few female trolls. I, I define a troll as someone who has something who wants to hurt without consequence. Oh, gosh, that's brilliant. I just thought of that. Yes, I got one the other day out of nothing. It said, uh, just seeing you on telly on some talking head, you look knackered. Yeah, probably, because I'd probably done the play at night and filming in the day. It's like, mm. oh, you really thought that was going to hurt me. But I have got things. Personally, my observation is if you've been in the entertainment industry for, you know, since you're in your mid-twenties and you're now over 40, you have got the skin of a rhino. It's like nothing they could ever say. But you're a celebrity and I'm not. I'm someone who's on telly and I, I present the news and I'm a journalist. It's interesting that you talk about... Um, about I, I don't even consider myself... I don't even know what a celebrity is. It's so funny. I crossed into a world, I think, going into EastEnders. You know, I'd been yes. a jobbing actress for years. You know, national RSC, lots of television. And suddenly I I had gone into a world where, you know, I, I am told that I'm a celebrity and I don't feel like a celebrity. Well, people recognise you on the street, don't they? Yes. And did you ever feel that pressure to kind of... I mean, take me. We have an amazing team of makeup artists yeah. who make me look 
Oh no, you're beautiful. No, I have to say you make are. Make me beautiful. look, make me look brilliant. You know, but mm. um, and I don't wear makeup out of work. I've I've just I'm wearing some today, um, because I've just had a meeting, um, and I needed to look presentable. But as I can tell you, jeans, trainers, and a t-shirt. That's what I've I've rocked and up. And a very here. cool jacket. Do you know I had that jacket? I bought that from Camden Market for thirty quid when I was seventeen. Did you? Yeah. God, and you've actually—it's such a cool leather, it's red cool. sort of like leather jacket. Very and you've matched it with jacket. those lips. You're um, rocking it. Sister. But I don't wear makeup generally out of work. I mean, if I'm going out to a party or you know to a so bar, do people whatever, recognise you? Um, yeah. Yeah, they do, but I think they're always a bit disappointed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the comment I get is, "You're so small." Oh, really? yeah. Aren't you <laughs> tiny? Yeah, um, and I remember one day, I'll tell you this, um, and I suppose it was the first instance of me realising what being on the BBC actually means. I'd moved into my um, house, I live in um, Hertfordshire, and my mum and James, my mum and my husband were moving us into the house. So I went down to the high street to sort out the banks and get some food from M&S, some, you know, quick, easy nibbles to eat. No one wants to cook the day they move into a new house. And I was walking down this little high street, and... um, this older couple said, and this woman said, BBC, BBC. And I'm like, turn around, oh, yeah, well, that's my name, okay. Yeah. You know, turn around, oh, hello, because you have to be very yes. polite. And it was very cold, it was March, and um, there was snow on the ground, so I had like hiking boots, corduroys on, a big red puffer jacket. And she said, oh, oh, you're so small. And I went, oh, and she she did this with her hands, and I, I, I'm I'm putting my hands together and expanding them. She went, but on TV, you look so wide, so wide. What size are you? Size eight, size six, because you look like a size 16 oh on, my. on television. I, I looked at her and what do you say to that? Not that any size is good or bad. And I just went, oh, okay. She goes, you look so wide and you're actually very pretty. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, I get that a lot. Yes. From EastEnders onwards. People, yes. Uh, well, you yeah. played quite a hardened character. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm you? still even now, and I mean, that's 15 years on. A, people think I'm still in it, and B, um, you know, people sort of go, oh, you look so much younger than you do on the television. But I always say, well, that's because the lighting on EastEnders would make Claudia Schiffer look <laughs> like she worked in the laundrette. You know, it's, it, people are, they, but the, I think the difference is, and I do think this, is that being an actor, you know, my friend Rosie Cavaliero was in a TV show playing a cop with John Sim, mm-hmm. and there was a TV review that came out that said, and did the female cop have to look so mumsy? And I went ballistic, and we, in fact, quite a few of us went ballistic, but particularly on Twitter, and this was the first time on Twitter I opened my big mouth, and said, how dare you? Rosie Cavillera, like the rest of us, are actors. We're not hired as models. You know, we, we are actors. We are play- what? Who are you to say that a, that a TV cop has to play? But at least you have that defence. Do you see what I mean? Well, it's not really. Goes, Who's to say that well, a journalist has to look like that they... Well, it goes back to what you were saying about we have to be much more of us. At least as an actor, you can say, I am playing a part and I have to look a certain way. We have to present ourselves as us. I mean, it is a highly glamorised version yeah. of us because we have this team of makeup artists and usually good lighting. Um, and, you know, we're sitting up, we're not, you know... But... Do the men get the same pressure to be glamorous? And good-looking and not. slim. And of course not. It's outrageous. Of course not. They are all glamorous and good-looking and slim. They're all stunning. <laughs> they're, all, they're all alpha males. But, uh, no, it, but it's not. You know, um, I've worked with presenters who are not good-looking men in the slightest, who ha- don't have amazing bodies. And, oh, my God, not not once have I seen anyone criticise that. On Twitter, do you get comments about 
the look of what you're looking I get at. asked if I'm pregnant. I get <laughs> asked um, why are my boobs so big? Have I had a boob job? Um, oh my god! I get asked, um, "Oh, is Naga putting on weight?" Oh my! I think she's pregnant. Oh my! Oh, all the time. Does Louise Minchin get this as well? I don't know. I haven't spoken. She probably does. Jesus. We all get criticised, and it's very difficult because what we do is we're being criticised while we're doing our jobs. Can you imagine going to work and someone criticising you as, as you're you do, doing no. your job? I always think of it as that you've got the equivalent. You know, it's like standing outside the loo and hearing you're being stuck in a toilet cubicle and hearing people bitching about you outside. Yeah. What do you do? Do you stick your fingers in your ears? You open the door and I say, go out I can and hear say you. hi. Yes, me too. I do that. I've done it. I think you're brilliant. I I think the way you've okay. This is interesting. Why have you stayed on Twitter or on Twitter or social media, but particularly Twitter, all these years? And you said in before that you're thinking you may come off it. I do feel quite a bit of pressure um, to be on Twitter because of the work I do. As I'm a journalist and I am a face of the BBC, and um, people follow m- my Twitter account for news. Mm-hmm. Um, they get a bit of personal life, but they also um, get information. Um, it is in becoming more and more important in the broadcasting industry to have a social media profile mm. um, and to use it. I think it's an invaluable tool. I I will get to a point if I care more about Twitter than I... I, the, it, I will get to a point if Twitter starts influencing the way I do my job. And it has done. I've been very conscious of not pissing people off on Twitter. Have you? Yeah, and I've stopped that. It, 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 yes. lasted, it lasted probably about, I don't know, six months or something, and I was just really conscious about it. I was like, why, why the hell am I giving these people my, my attention and my breath? Um, do you I, find yourself censor because you don't want to piss people off or because... Things that you would pass an opinion on. I won't pass an opinion. Now, is that to do with the BBC or yes. is that to do with pissing off people on Twitter? No, I don't care about pissing people off on Twitter. Um, I don't pass an opinion because that's not my job. I'm a journalist. My profile is journalist, golfer, um, lover of food and animals. Um, that's the personal stuff that comes in. But if I wasn't employed as a journalist for the BBC or anywhere, mm-hmm. I would. I don't think I'd be on Twitter. Or I would wow. be on. Or I would be on and never post. How so only follow. Just a watcher. Yeah. 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 How? So you don't think that if you suddenly gave it all up and became a baker or a professional golfer tomorrow, that you would suddenly be in there on the political debate talking about personally your feelings on on politics? I don't talk about my personal feelings on politics now. But would you ever do no. it? How? In, no. Why? Because you don't want to give that part of yourself away. You no. Know, yeah. I don't want to give my part, part that part of myself away. But I also enjoy conversation with people. Yeah. There's no debate. Yeah, there is no. I, I, I don't need to have that on social media. I'm, you know, I'm 44 years old. I grew up when there was no internet. I remember having email when I joined CNBC. That was the CNBC Europe. That was the first time I had email. I'm not of that generation. I'm learning all the time when it comes to technology. And I have that, and I think, very lucky background that I remember when we wrote letters to each other at school and they were the most hurtful things, you know, <laughs> but that was it and they could be ripped up. I remember coming from a background where you were taught to read everything. Your information had to come from such a wide source. Yes. You read the mail yes. as much as socialist I worker. read every paper. Every, yeah. well, and, and this is the future of debate and nuance mm. and all of it mm. that frightens me is that people live in these tiny echo chambers. Mm. To any young woman of colour that would want to get into 
journalism or the public eye who would be nervous and scared of being trolled on social media or in life, what advice would you give them? They wouldn't want to put their head above a parapet. Why on earth are you giving power to any idiot? You have the power. You are the boss of you. You are brilliant. I don't care if you're a woman of colour or if you're male and white, middle class, I don't care. You're an individual and you have a right to be here and you have a right to be the best you can be. Do not give anyone the power to take that away from you. Naga, thank you so much. you've, You've darted in here on your way up to Manchester. I hope you have a good week and I think, for what it's worth, I think you're bloody brilliant. Uh, straight back out there. <laughs> Thanks for being on Troll. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Trolled. Do subscribe, leave a lovely comment if you fancy it. Uh, apparently pod people like that. And, um, and have a lovely week. GreatBigOwl.com Hi, I'm Julia Rayside and I'd like to invite you aboard my podcast... Always There is the only podcast to navigate through every single episode in order of the 1980s seafaring soap opera, Howard's Way. You don't have to love Howard's Way or even remember it. We're going to talk about it anyway, because I think it's brilliant. Somebody's nicked my bloody boat. Find us on Twitter at AlwaysTherePod. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.